In the book of Genesis, in the Hebrew and Christian Bibles, it's translated, so God created humankind in his image. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over ever, every living thing that moves upon the earth. Dominion. This word has not left me alone for the last few weeks as I've been pre preparing for what it means to cultivate a new relationship with earth. The old dominion, the nickname for the state of Virginia or the Commonwealth of Virginia, officially, it was the first English, permanent English colony on this continent. And so the nickname probably derives from that. And therefore it was the oldest of the overseas dominions of the kings and queens of England. So the verse from Genesis was about domination, about being superior, about controlling the land, the people, the resources. Van Jones, who's a lawyer and author and political, political contributor, you've probably seen him if you watch CNN at all. He was part of a justice conference that I regularly attended in the before times, uh, before COVID, a conference about justice based in love, grounded in love. Their byline is love wins. It's an intersectional conference, but one of the large lanes in, at that intersection is about race. And after Van Jones spoke, he opened it up for questions and a, a white woman came down the left aisle of that beautiful old church and went up to the microphone. And her question was about impatience and perhaps her contempt for other white people who just don't get it, who just don't get racism, they don't understand white supremacy culture and how we're all steeped in it and how they can't see it and refuse to acknowledge it. And Van Jones listened carefully and then he very compassionately said, what do you get out of feeling that way? What is the payoff for you to feel that way? And she tried a couple of things and then he said, no, there's, there's, there's something for you in it that you get to feel that way. And I was struggling too, like, okay, what, what is that from? Um, what is my payoff when I'm like that? And Van Jones did not leave us hanging. He said, it's to feel superior, right? Better than them. And isn't that all, isn't that what we're all trying to work against? It was a pivotal moment for me. Indeed, superiority, dom dominion over others, superiority over and to others is what we're trying to work against. You shall have dominion over the earth has been misinterpreted for too many years. Just like dominion over humans has harmed all humans, humans' dominion over the earth has harmed all life on earth. Some have taken dominion in this verse to mean that humans are the most or even the only valuable part of nature and that non-humans parts of nature, the non-human parts of nature are only valuable only so far as they benefit humans. This kind of thought, the command to rule and have dominion over the earth, was often seen as a right to subdue 
to alter and to even exploit nature. And look where that has gotten us. Now, current scholars interpret these verses as human having more, humans having more of a caretaking or stewardship role. And traditionally, these verses are known as the dominion verses. But a more accurate description would be the stewardship verses. Rather than giving human beings rights over nature, these ver verses give us the responsibility to care for nature, for the earth, the skies, and the seas. In the rush to dominate, in the rush to be superior, in the culture that we're born into, particularly the dominant culture of Christianity in which we all live in the United States, it's easy to forget our agreements and our obligations. Stan Rushworth is an indigenous elder of Cherokee descent, and he writes about a settler colonizer domination mindset of, I have rights. And we, that's what we think is that, or what we've been taught. It's the culture we live in, the white culture we live in is we have rights over these resources. But an indigenous mindset says, I have obligations. We have obligations to the earth and to each other, to the salmon and the bear and the river itself. There are agreements written on the winds long before we were here long before we existed. Here's the thing that I'm afraid to say out loud to you. And there are, the, there are those who say that saving our earth, saving ourselves, really, because the earth will be okay eventually. There are those who say it's already too late that this climate crisis or climate catastrophe or climate chaos or constriction, whatever we choose to call it, is already an emergency, that it's already too late, too late to do anything to save ourselves. And then there are those that say to have this view and to share it just disseminates despair and that we shouldn't be disseminating despair. There are those who speak of reversing the damage, of seeking salvation, and perhaps even redemption through technology or artificial intelligence or a combination of both, like seeding the clouds. Have you heard of this? Where they, um, they send stuff into the clouds and either make it rain or keep it from raining. Um, and carbon capture, which captures the carbon dioxide. But what that does is it, it, it stores it and keeps it from going into the atmosphere, but it puts it into the earth but they're looking at that. And I just saw an article yesterday about uh, a large contract being awarded for that. Over the last year, I've been studying um, Joanna Macy's work, the work that reconnects, and I've shared that with you. Joanna Macy sees our climate crisis as a spiritual path, as an opportunity. Yes, we've created this crisis, but the crisis itself is an opportunity for personal and collective wholeness, for an awakening. She says it's a matter of mistaken identity, that we've been thinking that we're consumers. We've been thinking that we're laborers in the machines of the industrial growth society. We've been thinking that we need to get ahead as our separate selves, compete, win, look out for number one, but that that just imprisons us 
in a shrunken sense of self. And now this crisis is asking us to wake up. It's saying you are life on earth. You are not separate from it. The whole earth body is being traumatized. And of course, we feel that trauma. And especially, I think, after the trauma of the last 18 months, we're attuned to what trauma feels like and what the earth may be going through because we know what we've been through. Maybe because of the last 18 months, we can perhaps more easily access our grief over what's happening with the earth and what we're doing to it. Our society and sometimes our religion, that domination mindset, teaches us to be dissatisfied in ourselves. We, we grow up that way with, with pain and suffering and we keep it to ourselves. We keep the pain about um, the pandemic and the climate crisis and racism and fascism and our fears about what's happening, our fears about the future to ourselves. And then what happens is that we, we, it, it, that sense of dissatisfaction, that sense of not, that it's not okay to be connected to each other, to share what's going on, just leads to self-loathing and to loneliness. My God, we can feel so alone. Mainstream society would have us think that we're neurotic for feeling that way. And we ourselves may have thought that. I myself have thought this about myself and about other people. That um, our reactions are, are, are some personal neurotic response. But it's collective. And when we name that pain and suffering and what we see happening in community, then it becomes a doorway and it connects us to each other again. And it connects us again to life. And it starts with gratefulness, with gratitude and appreciation. The act of saying, thank you to life. Thank you for my life. I am grateful. I am glad to be alive. And the Buddha named it. Buddha said, life is suffering. And when we can look at the suffering, truly look at it and not turn away, then we can become tender enough to begin to access the well, both the depth of our spirituality, the deepness, the well, and the health of our spirituality, the wellness. We're not going to make things better by pretending that suffering and doesn't exist by turning away from the truth that the crisis isn't there but we can feel grounded in our gratitude so that our sense of panic can subside and here's the thing about that here's the thing about being grateful for to be alive is that the conditions don't have to be perfect for that we can do that anywhere we are anytime we are to still be glad for our lives because you know what? This is all we have for sure. It is all we have for certain. So in these times, we can let that 
open us up to each other and bond us to greater trust and collaboration and shared strength. Or we can let it divide us into feuding, conflict, and bitter bitterness. I see some of the social structures, life as we knew it, unraveling a bit. My husband and I don't eat inside at restaurants, but we do eat outside on patios or porches. And what I notice lately just about restaurants is that they're usually short-staffed. The food that was once just so on the plate is just kind of there. And sometimes the foods that are, they're known for aren't even available. I don't complain about that. I think everyone's doing the best they can right now, but I notice it. I notice the empty shelves and the slow supply chains. There's no way to know if this is the great unraveling or if the great unraveling or the great turning toward a life-sustaining society is the end of this story. Which one will it be? Does the great unraveling lead to the great turning? Or are we just left there with the unraveling? I don't know, but I know what I prefer. I know that I prefer a life-sustaining society. I know that I need to let go of domination and superiority and to see myself as a companion to all of you and to all of life on earth. Robin Wall Kimmerer in Braiding Sweetgrass writes, only with severe need did the hypha curl around the alga. Only when the alga was stressed did it welcome the advances. When times are easy and there's plenty to go around, individual species can go it alone. But when conditions are harsh and life is tenuous, it takes a team, a team sworn to reciprocity to keep life going forward. We need acts of restoration, not only for polluted waters and degraded lands, but also for our relationship to our world. We need to restore honor to the way we live so that when we walk through the world, we don't have to avert our eyes with shame. So that we can hold our heads up high and receive the respectful acknowledgement of the rest of the earth's beings not just humans, but all beings, plants and animals alike. Imagine a relationship like that. Action on behalf of life transforms, Kimmerer writes, because the relationship between self and the world is reciprocal. It's not a question of first getting enlightened or saved and then acting. As we work to heal the earth, the earth heals us. I invite you to take this in. And if you have taken this in already, take it in on a deeper level. Practice it. As you live and move and breathe over the next weeks and months, as you walk on this earth or move on this earth, consciously consider where your thinking lends itself to dominance, to entitlement, to superiority, and then notice and consider an alternative, companionship, relationship, obligation. Consider a reciprocal and restorative relationship with the earth. 
and what that would look like for you. Unitarian Universalists have a statement of conscience from 2006. Judith, Kelsey, and Megan will share words from that now. Earth is our home. We are a part of this world, and its destiny is our own. Our life we will be gravely affected unless we embrace new practices, ethics, and values to guide our lives on a warming planet. As Unitarian Universalists, how can our faith inform our actions to remedy and mitigate climate change? We declare by this our statement of conscience that we will not acquiesce to the ongoing degradation and destruction of life that human actions are leaving to the next generation. We are called to join with others to halt practices that fuel climate change and to mitigate impending effects with just and ethical responses. As a people of faith, we, we commit to a renewed reverence for life and respect for the interdependent web of all existence. We envision a world in which all people are assured a secure and meaningful life that is ecologically responsible and sustainable, in which every form of life has intrinsic value. Unitarian Universalists are called to defer to a balance between our individual needs and those of all other organisms. Entire cultures, nations, and life forms are at risk of extinction, while basic human rights to adequate supplies of food, fresh water, and health, as well as sustainable livelihoods for humans are being undermined. To live, we must both consume and dispose. Both our consumption and our disposal burden the interdependent web of existence. To sustain the interdependent web, we must burden it less while maintaining the essentials of our lives. Our world is calling us to gather in community and respond for our moral and spiritual wealth. Together, we can transform our individual and congregational lives into acts of witness, discarding our harmful habits for new behaviors and practices that will sustain life on earth ever vigilant against injustice. Affirming that we are of this earth and that humankind has brought about global climate change, we, as a member congregation of the Unitarian Universalist Association, can pledge to ground our missions and ministries in reverence for this earth and responsibility to it as we undertake these personal practices, congregational actions, and advocacy goals. Thank you. There have been times <clears throat> in my life when there was a longing to go home. And I have had um, other people tell me that, people that I've had healing sessions with have said, yeah, you just wanna go home. And, and um, certainly there, I have had this conversation with a friend of mine of uh, just wanting to go home as if home is some other place than here, perhaps back to what people might call the spirit world. Um, but what I have discovered 
is that when we heal our relationship with our bodies, when we reestablish our estrangement from the earth, when we, when we come back together and reconnect with nature and with each other, that we are home. This is home. So I invite you today to come home. Home to the blue-green hills in this forever-turning earth that nurtures and heals and sustains us. And let us do the same for her.